0: Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Spear Factor Spearfishing Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Whitman, and today's show is very special. Um, It's actually a two-part show, this obviously being the first part, with Al and Brian from Kauai. Um, The boys, I had them back, they were on the show before, and uh, Brian Firm started his own spearfishing company called Uncle, Uncle Learn You How, and Al... I wanted him back on just because he's got some really good insight into culture of spear but also he's hilarious and I love his honesty. If you follow him on Instagram, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but we start the show off with talking about Zuckerberg in Kauai and it just goes from there. So I hope you guys enjoy. Don't forget, if you want to step up your spear fishing this summer, go ahead and check out Spearfishingmentor.com. There's spearfishing classes. One of them's for free. Give you a little bit of an idea of what to expect. If you were to purchase the master class, there's over five hours of information on there for you guys. So be sure to check out Spearfishingmentor.com. Now I'd like to thank our sponsor, Mr. Ted Hardy of Immersion Free Diving. Uh, enter promo code Spearfactor for 15% off. Uh, on his 28 day free diving transformation course and uh, it's pretty awesome i've used it and i recommend it so you can find this course and the other courses ted puts out for us at freedivingsafety.com um, like i said enter the promo code SpearFactor for the discount and thanks ted for sponsoring the show our next sponsor is hot rod spear guns uh Paul has offered us 10% discount with a promo code SpearFactor, so thanks Paul for making badass guns and uh, providing a hookup for our listeners. And Kamira side slip, so Kamira side slip you can purchase those at Kamira Spearfishing. That's K-I-M-E-R-A, and basically I've talked about the side slip before in the show. It's kind of the benefits of a slip tip without worrying about breaking your tip hunting around rocks. It uh, replaces the flopper with a side slip. Uh, check it out more at the website. And if you use promo code SPEARFACTOR, all lowercase, at checkout, they'll give you 5% off. And if you'd like to uh, sponsor SPEARFACTOR podcast, feel free. Uh, you can go ahead and shoot me a note on the website, SPEARFACTOR.com. Thank you. So how are you doing, buddy? Doing I'm good? doing
2: great. Can't complain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Enjoying your bluefin? Looking all shredded and shit? (laughs)
2: I'm trying.
1: Zuckerberg.
2: Fucking Zuckerberg, bro.
1: (laughs) Bro, When I was there, I think it was like a few years ago, he had just bought that property and then he closed it off. There was that big battle. Yeah. Where he had closed off that. The
2: history of that place, for me, that's the first time I went diving. When I was about nine, ten years old, that's where my dad took me. It was at night. And then my dad and I used to go camp there a lot, fishing and diving and whatnot. You know, as time went on, you know, I grew older. there. Me and my friends started diving there, did really well. And back then, uh, Jimmy Pfluger of uh, Pfluger Dealerships, Pfluger Acura, he owned all that place. And then uh, he had a caretaker, Gordon Rosa, uh, from Onohola, that he was friends with uh, my friend. And uh, he always gave us access to that place down to the beach. and. You know, I took my family camping there, fishing, diving, and, you know, I got a lot of history over there. It's a beautiful place, you know, and after the Koloko Dam incident, Jimmy Fluger lost the property, and after his passing, uh, Gordon Rosa was no longer the caretaker there, and then it got sold to Mark Zuckerberg. You know, we lost all our access there, access to the beach and diving there, and it was kind of a bummer. You know, we have so much much history over there, you know. And when I was a kid, there was roads. Nobody owned it when I was a kid. There was roads that go to different sections down there. You could drive right down to the beach, and it was so killer. So my dad and I, we have all these different spots where we go diving at night and whatnot, or fishing or camping, all across that area. But now it's a bummer. Like, a lot of the rich bought out a lot of property over there, even the one more east of that, Moloa. You know, there was nothing there but fields way back in the day. And, you know, it's now it's pretty sad to see that Zuckerberg wants to, or it's rumored that Zuckerberg wants to blow it up and to bring his yacht in there. He also tried to turn, like, five miles of that coastline, extending out from the shoreline five miles out. He tried to turn that place into a well sanctuary so no boats could pass through because he didn't want any boats in his view. And there was a huge explosion about that. The local people and everybody was just like, "Screw you! We're doing it anyway." And then it didn't pass with the with the Well Foundation and stuff like that. Even they said that you know we can't really do that, you know.
3: So, but Zuckerberg is just c- coming here and just trying to do whatever he wants. He's like the rest of the rich people here. Dude, it's, it's
1: fucking incredible to me because it's like, uh, you don't understand how real life you're like going to an Island where you're isolating the pissing off. It's like the fucking purest form of why aren't all the fucking liberals freaking out, freaking out about this? It's like the purest form of like the white fucking man coming and taking over all your shit. Essentially. It's the same shit. Only now we're two hundred years later, or four hundred years later, or whatever it is, and nobody says a motherfucking thing except the locals. It's like, dude, you know how this ends, dude? You piss this off to the point where you burn your fucking house to the ground.
2: Um, I, I think like, it's definitely coming to that. Honestly, um, I think that's the only way the people's voices are going to be heard, and there's going to be there's going to have to be some sacrifices made for sure. There's going to have yeah. to be people going to jail. I'll probably be one of them. Um, you know, so
1: shocking. Yeah. <laughs> so
2: you know, I mean,
1: oh. hey, you just gotta have a rich white friend to get an attorney to bail your ass not out. Not
2: a Kauai. yeah, not a Kawhi. No, that's true. But you know, it's for like yeah. people like Zuckerberg. You got, I can see where they're coming from because they never had any culture in their lives. They came from a city. They grew right. up in a city. They don't have a sense of culture, a sense of, uh, of belonging really, like, how we do. We have we, we have a sense of belonging to our island, our land, our home, our ocean. You know, we have a deep connection with this, not just... We, we just don't fish for fun, or stuff like that, you know? And, like, people like Zuckerberg, they just come and take. They don't have an understanding of culture, of what it means to the Native people here. And so, and he tries to, like, give back by doing these donations, but I'm just like, one right doesn't make up for a handful of wrongs, you know? Just
1: that's easy though yep. right he has so much He's, money does that really mean anything you just yeah. fucking here
4: so brett what yeah. al just started there yes. <laughs> i think that's a good <laughs> intro to uh speaking about spearfishing in hawaii as opposed to yeah. the mainland u.s in the sense that in hawaii spearfishing is extremely cultural people are raised from when they're very small children they're taught sustainable gathering practices. They're, they're taught which species, the ideal time to take those, how you're going to feed your family in a sustainable way without overtaking. So if we're to get restrictions um, in the way of, okay, well, you guys can't go there anymore. And where he was talking about that area is called Pila, where Zuckerberg is. So if you're saying when we were children, we could access that, but now the white colonizers come in and making so we can't access right. that. That's an issue, right? But also if you look across the ocean to how popular spearfishing is becoming in a mainland area where it's kind of glamorized by social media and all I got to do to get my foot in the door is take a spearfishing class go down to the dive shop, buy some gear, and get myself on a boat charter, and next thing you know, I'm spearing tuna. That's a huge leapfrog of a progression. Like, you really missed out. You know, ideally, you go with a mentor that's very experienced, that shows you right from wrong. And has you learn with a pole spear, which has a very limited range, and that enforces your hunting tactic. That forces you to become an observer versus an instant taker so i think that cultural de- deviation is what really makes someone that grew up in hawaii spear fishing as opposed to someone that just kind of took it on as a hobby and may or may not stick with it so what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah so well you brought up a point about the pole spear and i think by default growing up when we were kids uh pole spearing like we didn't have, I didn't have an extra 800 or a thousand dollars laying around to buy a spear gun. Right. So you had this shitty little pole spear at the time, which you don't really know any better. Cause you're a kid. And like you said, I mean, you went out all the time and you know, my dad scuba but he didn't spearfish, And, uh, you go out all the time with this pole spear and you're shooting these little perch. But I remember like I saw it in my son when I took him out with this pole spear and the first fish he landed was like a little perch and he was beside himself. Like, you know what I mean? And then it was like, okay, cool. Um, that meant more than some than I, for me, bluefin tuna, you know, in a lot of ways for him, but I, I feel like exactly what you said. It's different when you grow up in it. And you've kind of gone through these slow progression by either virtue of, uh, you know, finances or just by virtue of where you live. Um, it shapes who you are and the way you look at things. I think in spearfishing, though, everybody goes through this natural progression where and I think we talked about on the last podcast we did with you guys where it's like some people that just start out, they start shooting everything. And then eventually you get like super, super selective, like the maturity that happens when you spearfish. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and if we could like kind of start off a little better rather than like shoot everything, well, no, you don't want like you guys are talking about. Um, and I learned it by, I guess, like spear, uh, by scuba diving, like, hey, you don't want to shoot this fish because this is what this does on the reef. It's kind of cool. Like, and you kind of already connected to the animals just by spending so much time in the water, not hunting them. So when you see them, it's kind of like, well, this guy's not really hard to hunt. You know, he swims right up to you. Um, But I don't, it's different when I think guys are starting out now, like exactly what you said. I mean, you saw it when you guys came here, you jump on a charter, you get in and fish and you blast, you know, hundred pound tuna. And it's like, that's pretty impressive. Um, But it kind of warps your sense of uh, maturity. I think, I don't know. Well, I think, I think you
4: kind of, when you do it that way you kind of miss the natural order of things in the sense that it's one thing to just shoot a fish, take a picture with it. Look at what look at me, look at what I did as opposed to becoming a hunter, adopting that mentality of I'm going out and I'm procuring my own food source with my own hands and my own ability. And you really need to start from the bottom. You know, learn the species, because as you improve as a diver, the difficulty of attaining that next desirable species becomes within reach. So an example of that is you might start in 10, 15 feet of water with a pole spear, picking through the rocks, shooting little half pound fish. And then eventually, as you can dive deeper and you get better equipment, you graduate to a gun. Now you've got some range. Now you can shoot a different kind of fish. And it should be like five or 10 years down the road that you go, okay, I feel like I have mastery over the reef. Let's check out that blue water action and some pelagics. Cause now we've got floats and bungees and breakaways and big powerful guns. But I feel like there should be like a rite of passage to that. Cause now, you know, like you said, Al and I never shot a bluefin tuna in our lives and we've been diving our whole lives. And the reason we were able to be successful is because we took all of our experience of adapting and every time we got dumped in the water, we tried something different until we figured out what worked and what didn't. And that's through the power of adaptation, which you only gain through experience. What are your thoughts, Al?
2: Yeah. Well, As far as like spearfishing goes, I I feel like it's kind of sad to me. Social media definitely exploited spearfishing. Spearfishing in Hawaii to me has kind of lost its soul, lost its mana. I mean, uh, people are just spearfishing because it's cool, posting pictures, trying to hopefully they get sponsored, free gear. To me, they're doing it for all the. A lot of people are doing it for the wrong reasons, but there are a lot of those who are still doing it for the cultural purposes like just bringing home food for their families and whatnot and that's the side of uh spirit fishing we don't see because those are the people who are not posting pictures and Mm -hmm. stuff like that you know and i still know quite a few people like that you know and they're just hardcore just like hey if i don't go diving we don't get to eat tonight i gotta go diving and you know it's another thing why it's losing it so it's like now there's so much information out there which is great Keeps a lot of divers safe, but like the simple thing about learning how to rig your own stuff and whatnot, I think that's all part of spearfishing having a soul. It's like when I grew up, I had to figure out how to tie a band. I was t- trying to use all these different knots, and my wishbone kept popping out, and I didn't know what to do. It took me so much trial and error, but when I figured it out, I was like proud, you know, I was just like stoked. Nowadays, you can just go on YouTube and be like, hey, okay, that's how you did it. Whoa, okay, let's go. You know, it's just, I don't know, I just feel like there's not much um, effort being put into learning a cultural thing in Hawaii, like fishing and fishing anymore. It's just more for glam and all that. I don't know, it's just, it seems real different to me now. It seems like there's not much value in it anymore. I don't know, it, 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 social media's kind of ruined it for me. But I mean, what I do like about social media is meeting, like, great people. Like you matt jacob all all these people from the mainland who are great divers great humble people who dive for one reason just to bring home food for their families and their friends you know and
3: that's that's awesome you know so i don't know it's you know in like different places of the world right
2: spearfishing is more of like a hobby like you said you know it's like they see it on social media it's like oh yeah cool let's try that you know and then People get into it and do great and whatnot, and and that's good for them. It just I'm hoping and praying that these people kind of like uh, don't sell it out either, you know, sell out spearfishing. is kind of like the one thing I have left really in my life: spearfishing and fishing. You know, that actually has some value besides my daughter. You know, so not at all. I always have mixed feelings about everything, mixed emotions. <laughs> so.
1: that's not a bad thing that just means you're able to think about everything from different perspectives but it seems like and the the situation that you uh described which i kind of i agree with is that you have this explosion of spear fishermen and they got inspired by somebody to get involved right so they got inspired by somebody but hopefully that's why i feel like it's more it's so important for people that have similar views like 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 we do, um, to be just as active on social media to counteract some of that, you know, when you're, when they're young, you know, I say young, I mean, I'm 43, but like when the guys are like 20 and it's like, Hey, that person's being paid to go spearfish. Oh, I'd like to do that. Let me do this and post all these big pictures and all this stuff like that, which I understand a part of that, but it is, it's so important for us to, uh, be involved to be like, Hey, I totally get that. But, you know, here's the other side of it. Like, you don't have to be like that to be a sponsor. You don't have to be like that. This is not really what this exactly. is about. Exactly. Exactly. You know?
4: Yep. Yeah, I, I think one, yeah. of the, one of the things that really showed people how dangerous spearfishing can actually be is, you know, when we had the pandemic, people weren't working. They were looking for stuff to do. They took up spearfishing as a new hobby. And you know they look for guidance on social media, YouTube, what have you. And you know the the common thread was take a freediving course at the very minimum. You know, get some gear, find a buddy. You know, so those things were good. But what people didn't see that was important is learning about conditions, learning about what a true buddy means. A buddy is not just we're diving in the same zip code of water. You know, if he drops, everything stops. I'm now focused on spotting him. And it works both ways. And we're not having one person on the bottom. Oh, I saw a fish. I'm on the bottom at the same time. I mean, and that's why when that first came out, there was a person dying. One person per month for like five months straight were dying. They either had shallow water blackouts or they were just getting lost. Oh, I don't know. I was with them. We separated. I couldn't find them. And that's kind of the result. That's kind of the point that at least I'm trying to make is if you're going to do it, respect it for what it is. And ideally find yourself a mentor that is experienced, that is willing to spend the time with you and learn the right way. Like I was recently approached about doing some sort of um, spearfishing instructional videos. And I told the person that approached me about it, I said, you know, I disagree with that concept because you can watch all the videos in the world. But unless you're actually in the shit, right, you're getting sucked out of the channel in a strong current. You're getting pulled under by the fish when you're trying to kick up. You have to make a decision. You're getting tangled up in your line. Unless you're in the shit, you don't get to learn that life lesson that flips that switch and goes, oh, damn, they weren't kidding. I really need to pay attention to this aspect. Right. So if you can find that mentor and you can come up that way, then you're going to be the ideal next generation, in my opinion.
2: And you know, another thing too about Going, going back to about selling out spearfishing. There are people out here who are like influencers and who aren't even really spirals. Like they've doubt they've been starting to die for like a year and because they have like 10 million YouTube followers and they make money off that shit, they're trying to use spearfishing phish, spear for their own income. And to me, that's selling out our way of life. And I, I don't agree with that. First off, if you haven't been spe- spearfishing for a lifetime, you have no right to sell out our spearfishing culture. Not only that, it's going to be probably be unsafe for others that follow you, follow them, you know, see what they're doing, think, oh, I can do that. He's only been diving
3: for a year. Oh, I, may- I can do that too. I can shoot those kind of fish. You know, and to take our culture and to sell it out for a profit, that to me is just wrong. That's just That's just wrong. You know, like, there's people here on Kauai who do that shit. And I don't agree with it, you know? And like, uh, like that one time you told me that, that,
2: uh, that woman, that Olympian woman, mm-hmm. she doesn't even spearfish. And she was asking Brian to take her spearfishing just so she could pull something cool on our Instagram
3: page so she can make money off of it. Like, that's what I mean. People are trying to sell out our culture, our way of life.
4: We lost you That's, there. Oh. So, so, in that example, no, you got me. What's, what's interesting is when someone is new to it, of course they want to find somebody that is experienced. Of course they want to find someone that will mentor them. But the unrealized portion of that is it's a two way street, right? If I'm going to go diving with someone, what kind of training have they had? What kind of experience do they have? That's great if he's inexperienced and I've got his back 100%. But what happens if I get in trouble? Right? So that that's the selling point. It's a two-way street, right? A buddy system doesn't work if both people don't participate in it.
1: Right. So is your main, I mean, honestly, is your main point base, uh, that it's not so much the newbies, you know, guys that new want to get in the sport. It's, the reason why? Yes. Is it just because? Oh, it's popular right now. So let me do this. Yes, right? there's got
2: to be some kind of value to it. There's got to be some real purpose to it. You know, there's got to be some kind of uh, like, like I said, we do it for food. Like I grew up with my dad. We went diving and fishing every weekend, and the main purpose of that was just to eat. You know, because we grew up poor here. I grew up poor. You know, and so I grew up with that value of like everything I do in my life. Has to have a purpose, a genuine purpose, not for a show or anything like that, you know.
1: So it's interesting though. My one of my biggest pet peeves right now is kind of what you're talking about. Is that you see it, you see it to me gleaming among females divers. and Nothing against females. This isn't it, but you see it where it's like, okay. I got my OnlyFans isn't working out. So <laughs> let me jump over here. And uh now I can be like the poster child for spearfishing and totally miss the mark on what it's really about. Look, if you want OnlyFans, I don't really give a shit. But I'm just saying like the fact that oh, this is really just an avenue for you to make more money and try to be the big fish in this pond of people. Yes. And it's not really about spearfishing. So when you see people spit on fish for whatever the reason, I'm like, hey, um, you don't fucking get it, you know? And it's like that, to me, was upsetting because um, it devalues the fish. It just it, it, it shows it's all about you.
2: Not only that, it, and makes the a, reason... it makes a spear fisherman look bad, you know? Look like assholes. That, that one yeah. bad apple of the bunch is going to ruin it for everybody. Now, people who don't even spearfish or just discover spearfishing, like, "Wow, this freaking chick just spit on this fish!" You know, like, "Are they all like that?" You know, so it's, right. it's they, So that woman, oh my god, don't even get me started with her. But
1: we don't, yeah, we don't, we don't need it. We we know we don't need to yeah, it. Yeah, but anyway, but, uh, but yeah.
2: karma, karma came back and bit her in the ass. A week later, the other woman set a world record, which was very deserving um, of her, and I, I, I'm definitely like pretty stoked for her. Really stoked for it. That's
1: a big tuna too. Yeah, I'm actually talking to her tomorrow. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because um I happen to have again, it's a small community, right? And I just want um I want us all to be self regulating. And if we're gonna be role models to the rest of the like, let's do it the right way, not my way that I think, but I don't I, I want some genuineness, right? I don't yeah. want another avenue just to be famous. Um but uh i know that her and her husband like um they go out i mean they, they they live it they go to baja they do all this stuff and i may not agree with everything but i will say that they are spear fishermen at heart yeah. you know and then when she did it i was like i know she put her time in and it was like oh hell yeah good for you girl
2: yeah you know it's like yeah i know a lot of people aren't gonna agree with what i say about the cultural aspect of spearfishing and that's fine it's all good you know I respect whatever point of view they have they can, they can do whatever they want you know but
4: I'm just saying what
2: how I feel you know so. but, but you
4: just made a right. valid point Brett in saying that you can have a governing body you can have rules and regulations you can have enforcement officers but it really comes down to self-regulation right so unless you have trigger discipline not to pull the trigger on a fish that's undersized or out of season or beyond bag limit nobody can do anything about that but you you know i have i have this person that i'm diving more and more with now and the other day he shot a fish which is kind of on the small side and i didn't say anything about it because he pulled the trigger right so he has to think of that moment What made him pull the trigger? What was okay about that? So my suggestion to him was, dude, I'm not going to rag on you for it. That's between you and that small fish you just killed, which is like two bites of meat. But my suggestion to him was figure out the species that you enjoy hunting. Learn everything you can about them. What's their breeding cycle? What's What's the ideal size to take? What's the size you should leave alone? Establish minimums for each size. So, I'll give you an example. Like, if I want to shoot a papil, you know, yellow spot, omilu, what have you, three pounds is my minimum. Same for uku, which is the great job fish, same for moo, big eye emperor. But if you establish that minimum, there's no question when you're down there looking down the barrel with your finger on the trigger as to whether you're going to pull it or not. Because you already know it's the wrong size. If you have to look at a fish and go, eh, maybe, maybe <laughs> not. The answer is you already no. Yeah. Right. So, so if people wanna concern themselves with sustainability and ethical practices, I feel like that's a good way to start. Is establish the species you like to hunt, learn everything you can about them, and then give yourself minimums. And another thing that we try to do is we try to always get what I call it like a mixed plate or a mixed bag. Okay. I shot one of those. Now I'm going to shoot one of these and I'm going to shoot another one of these. And maybe I go in with five fish, but they're all of a different species as opposed to just 10 of the same. Right.
1: Right. And some of that's unique to where you dive to like, you know, obviously the islands are completely different than here, but, uh, where you don't have the cultural aspect you have the 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 lineage if you will like to stuff but in the history but you don't have the cultural aspect you don't have uh the types of diving that you guys are doing there um it's just very different but the 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 fundamental values are exactly the same regardless of where you go right like and I love the point that you mentioned before about uh adapting based on our experience because i I love it where it's like where I'm going somewhere new for the first time and it's like, um, I'm looking for these fish. You read up on them, you learn about them, you try to figure it out. And then you apply like technique number one. And I'm not seeing them. It's not, or if we have like three of us in a group, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this. You try this and you try this and we'll see what works. And then we'll adjust it. And like the first day is kind of funny. And then it's like game on. You can tell it's like, okay, this is how we hunt them. Like, and I've done that with different species, but, um, yeah, it's, it's fun. And I, and I think, yeah, you can't fake that, right? You, you just can't. I think about it too, where it's like we pay, like a lot of people pay for guides. And I know because people don't have time and they go to these places and then they're like, sh- you know, shoot these massive fish. Um, but I think it genuinely, that was set up for people that have a lot, a lot of experience And so they want to do something different. So they go to these places with that uh, ability to adapt and try these things with these guys and put themselves in these situations where they can shoot these big fish. But then you see, sometimes you see these brand new spear fishermen going on these trips and, you know, it's like there's locals there and they're just shooting the place up. And you're like, how not to be welcome? Like you shot 30 grouper. I've seen some crazy stuff where it's like you've shot. Like John, John always says this, he mentioned this the last time we were out together diving. He's like, you can judge someone by the fish they shoot. And he's like, and you can, you can judge where they are and they're a little like maturity, spearfishing maturity. Um, it's interesting. And again, this isn't like, I don't feel like this is being judgy. This is just like, it's true. You can tell someone where they're at by the fish they shoot. Like sometimes people shoot giant fish and it's like, but Knowing a couple of people that do that, it's like, do you know how many fish they pass on? Like, it takes years. It's like, nope, nope. It takes a lot of discipline. Nope, nope. Al's
4: been waiting 20 years I to shoot a booth in.
1: You know, um, but right, right. And you know right. what? And and I talked about this too. It's like, I could very easily pay to go do something and have someone put me on a fish today, probably. Right. But I'd rather do it myself and learn everything along the way and make all the stupid ass mistakes of like, oh, I approached that at a different angle. I did this, I did that. Because when I do finally like link up, it makes everything so much more valuable. And then the byproduct is all the knowledge that I gain by doing, by failing, right? Cause you know, and if you're doing it just to be able to get constant content, then you don't, you're missing the whole point mm-hmm. of it
4: all. Well, what you, you know? just stated there ties yeah. into what Al had said earlier. About rite of passage, learning how to rig your own equipment. What is the point if you're an influencer that was given something as a sponsorship because they wanted to piggyback on your volume of followers? Somebody loaded the gun for you, rigged it for you, put you on the spot, said, Do A, B, and C. And all you really had to do was a 10-second dive and pull the trigger. And then they landed the fish for you, bled it, gutted it, put it on ice, processed it. You're not a spear fisherman. You're not. Yeah, and then uh, what's funny, too,
3: nice. is,
2: um, when we were on our bluefin trip, our captain was telling us stories of, what, the Florida guys? Yeah, he was telling us a story. He took these Florida guys out bluefin diving, and none of them could shoot a bluefin. So he told them, do you want me to shoot one for you guys? And they're like, oh, yeah. So the captain jumps in the water, shoots a big giant bluefin, lands it by himself now, puts the fish on a boat just so the Florida guys could take a picture of it and act like they shot the fish. So that's what I mean. Like spearfishing is selling out to dummies like this.
3: And it's, it's come to my knowledge that there's actually quite a few dummies we're doing this shit. I mean, I don't know. I, I hate hearing that. I really do. I mean, if I saw somebody doing that, I'd call them out straight up. You call somebody yeah. out for changing. names. I would say like, or, a- oh, I
2: had to <clears throat> call somebody out yesterday for a road, on a road rage. So yeah.
1: <laughs> so if you don't, if you don't follow <laughs> Al and you want some amazing <laughs> entertainment of like someone being real, follow Al. And you'll be like, yeah, exactly, yeah, <laughs> fuck that guy, yep, yep.
2: But no, I mean that—that's what I mean. It's no, like, like I, you, I, said, you know, um, there's it, just people who are not very genuine in spearfishing anymore, and it's kind of sad to see people actually do that stuff. I mean, for me, it's, I, I'm blown away when I hear stories like that. Like I even told the captain, I was like, no, nah, no way, dude. He's like, no, for real. I went in there to shoot a fish for them so they could take a picture of it. I'm like. That's unbelievable. It blew my mind. It like it like disturbed me for like a good hour after that. Like I couldn't even go to sleep. (laughs) It was blown mind blowing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, it's funny because some some of the more popular people, like you said, are piggybacking off of spearfishing, but uh it's uh I was like uh you know, in, in church they'd be like beware of false prophets, you know. It's like, yeah. Careful who you follow and careful, you know because they may not be they may not seem to be who they are. I mean there's a lot of great yeah. people for sure. But there's some knuckleheads, man. Um yeah. Uh but speaking of shooting bluefin, let's talk about your recent trip to uh California where we talked about uh where you mentioned about coming here after 40 years or what of 30 years of diving and shooting um a fish, but there were some specifics about your trip and some goals that I think are unique to you guys, both of you guys. And I, and I wanted to get into that because that kind of goes, Brian, into your stuff where, what you're doing now. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like where the trip came from? I know. And, and how it progressed as you, um, as you, uh, the details of it basically.
4: Go ahead. So, what you, know, what your goals was? Uh, well, I, I think it kind of stemmed from Al wanting to do it, right? And then, um, and then I looked at it as an opportunity to prove a couple things, not necessarily to other people, because that's never a concern of mine. I could really care less what other people think. I try to just move forward on my own path. But some of the things I wanted to prove to myself is. You know the kind of guns that I've been building for myself and for other people. I wanted to try to test them to the level that others would doubt that they could perform. Right? Can you really land a tuna with a hundred and fifteen centimeter roller gun, as opposed to my six foot long, twenty pound, five or six band wood gun? Right? Because that. Mentality is that's what's always been used, so that's what's required. Whereas, if you're someone like myself or Al, something better comes along, things are proven by physics, you know, you can connect the dots between things. Why wouldn't you try it if you can get the same or comparable power out of something that's a smaller package that's easier to maneuver, easier to track? easier to travel with and gain the same effect without half of your sport tube weight being one gun right so my goal was to see if i could land a triple digit bluefin with an inverted roller and if possible with a double roller and so interestingly enough in california there's bag limits right so if we're in california you can only get two bluefin per day so i was going to try to shoot one with the inverted And one with the double but then after i shot and landed one with the inverted and i was super stoked because i was able to prove that goal to myself i don't really care what anybody else thought about it i'm not trying to argue against the guys that use a different tool for the job but then when it came time to shoot the second with the double roller i look at my own ethical system and what am i going to do with that second fish I already have a hundred something pound bluefin tuna. I'm on a vacation. I got to get it processed. I got to bring it home. It's not like I can sell it. I'm not in a place where my friends and family around that I can give it away. So I saw no reason to shoot a second one. So maybe the next time I'm in the water, I'll just go for the double roller. Right. So I'll just put that goal on hold. And then, you know, there was some talk about, you know whether Dyneema works for shooting line versus 400-pound mo- mono, which everybody uses. So I enjoy using Dyneema, but people were saying, oh, well, do you tie it or do you crimp it? You know, there's always two sides of the story. Everybody has their own opinion. So I crimp it. I used it. And the fish I shot, I mean, I had a three-atom float. That thing pulled my float down to where I couldn't even see it.
3: Gone. <laughs> just,
4: just gone. And I even told Al... I hope I see that again, right? And then 30 seconds later, he was ready to clip on his second three atom for me. And, and he's like, did you see your float yet? And then I looked and I go, oh, it's over there. And it was still tombstoning. So he hooked on his second float. And, you know, I float line clutched that thing all the way up to the shooting line. And then he took off on another run. And then I worked him all the way to shooting line again. And he took off on a third run. So I can't think of a better test of equipment in the rigging, like the Dyneema to the hybrid bungee that I was using to the right float that I was using to how I connected everything to how the slip tip was rigged. I mean, that's what you want to know, right? Because that's not just me talking shit. That's putting what I know and what I specify in the practice and proving that it does work. So that was a big goal for me. Now for Al, he'll tell you a different story.
1: This episode is brought to you by Neptonics Spearfishing. Uh, Go check out neptonics.com for the absolute best, most reliable spearfishing gear at some of the best prices in the market as well. Uh, The thing that I like about Neptonics is, you know, the gear has been tested on there and they're not going to have some generic crap on there. It's all gear that works And people use it every day uh, with great results so don't forget to put in the spear factor 10 promo code to get 10% off neptonics.com so I get this question a lot as far as can I recommend a charter and I absolutely can lineage charters here in San Diego uh, does giant bluefin tuna trips uh, multi-day trips and Captain Bly is your guy. He's got over 30 years of spearfishing and commercial fishing experience. So be sure to check out lineagecharters.com for offshore action.
2: Um. So bluefin tuna has been a dream of mine since my early 20s. Uh have been spearfishing since I was 10, but it wasn't until like 18, 19, 20, my early 20s where I got really good. Um, like we were talking about mentors, I hooked up with a friend of mine to this day, uh, Rayton Auto. Uh We became good friends. We dove all the time. He taught me a lot. He he made me realize my, he made me realize unlock my potential in spearfishing, and uh, we entered tournaments and whatnot. We, Rayton and I made it to the nationals one year and everything. And, um, anyway, so in my early twenties, like I received a book from Terry Moss, The Blue Water Hunting. And on that picture of that book is Terry a big giant bluefin, and ever since then I was obsessed with shooting a bluefin and uh but my life took a really bad turn. you know it's like I made a lot of bad decisions, I got caught up in drugs, I just threw my life away basically, and um it wasn't until my daughter was born that I finally started to get my my shit together, so it was like. I've been off drugs for like 15 plus years now, sober, um, getting a business. And now that I finally got my life together, I kind of thought back, you know, hey, maybe I can still accomplish my dream of shooting a bluefin. Because during that time when I was all messed up, I still had those dreams of diving, wanted to shoot bluefin and whatnot. But that, all just all that just disappeared and got replaced with drugs. And so, yeah, now that my life was together and whatnot, I was telling him, Matt, like, let's go on a fucking bluefin trip. And to me, being able to go on a bluefin trip, shooting and landing on a bluefin trip, had a lot of sentimental value. Like, it, it, it proved to myself that I could definitely accomplish my dreams. I knew what it took. I finally made it in my life. I finally made it to a point in my life where. I, You know, I overcame a lot of these obstacles like addiction and all this stuff, you know, it's, it's crazy. And so the bluefin has more of a emotional value to me than anything else. And that was my goal of a bluefin tuna. Just proving to myself that I can, fin-
3: can finally make it in my life. Wow.
1: That's, that's, that's fucking powerful, man. That's. Really I mean, fuck, cool. dude. I, uh, I,
2: I was homeless several times. Also fucked up on drugs. I lived, in, I, lived out, I lived, out of my car at Salt Pond, and it wasn't until My uncle saw me there one morning. He's like, "Oh, what you doing over here? You living in your car?" I'm like, "Oh yeah." He's like, "Bro, what's going on?" I just, I told me, hey, "Fuck, uncle, I'm, I'm fucked up." I told me, "You know what? You come live with me." He took me in, helped me out. Lived with him for a long time, trying to get my shit together, but kept fucking relapsing back into drugs, no matter how hard I tried, you know, and then, fuck, you know, my daughter was born, and I tried to do my best to quit all that shit, but the first couple of years was really tough, and I kept falling back, yeah. and trying to be a good dad, kept falling back, trying to be a good dad, and
3: finally, I was like, fuck, I gotta get my shit together, and I finally did, you know, and, so, yeah, so it's, it's that's why and then
2: Now that I got back into spearfishing, you know, about eight years ago, I started getting better again, better again, and getting better back in the groove. And I was like, fuck, I can, I I think I can, I think I can live my dream. And I told myself, I think I can prove, I think I can, (laughs) I can pull it off. You know, with his help, I got back in shape. Well, I never was in shape, but now I am in shape. You know, it's like, what I learned about, you
1: were in a shape, maybe.
2: Well, what I learned in preparation for the bluefin trip too, was I learned a shitload about myself
3: in preparation for the bluefin trip. So that's why this bluefin had a lot of value to me. I learned all the missing key ingredient of my life was discipline. That was the most powerful
2: thing that I was missing my whole entire life was discipline for myself. Learning to love myself and being disciplined enough To work hard, do what it takes to accomplish what you want. What I want to accomplish, and that's—I mean—I learned so much about myself in the past nine months. It was mind-blowing.
1: I actually uh, thought you were going to say purpose because you—you mentioned when your daughter was born and that helped you. Yeah, yeah, of course. Drugs. And then, and then the bluefin. It's like, oh, it's a goal. Purpose this is my purpose. I'm gonna fuck this up now and like go for it. But hey, off the topic like of spearfishing. But this is more about people that spearfish. But what do you think the catalyst was for you to number one, a like go towards that life of drugs and and going that way. And then number two, when you finally you you mentioned you would relapse, but what was that final thing? How did you get get help and like finally was like I'm gonna make it this time.
3: Um, so my daughter was always
2: my motivation to do better. She was. I realized even when I was on drugs that she was the only thing that had any value in my life, and I wanted to be the best father I can for her. Um, so I kept pushing and trying to do better, trying to do better. But shit, man, anybody who's been an addict before knows, man, addiction is a motherfucker. That thing will not, addiction will not let you go. It will hold on to you for the rest of your life if it could. To break that chain is just unbelievable. And my daughter was really the only one that actually made me break that chain. You know, providing for her, being the
3: best that I can. And uh, as far as help, so, well, eight years ago, uh, eight, nine years ago now, no, about eight years ago. Because I quit drugs, I kind of started drinking a lot and whatnot. And uh, I couldn't really kick addiction. I stopped hard drugs, but I drank. Uh, something went wrong in my head. I ended up getting putting my daughter on the bus that morning, sending her to school. Started drinking. Got really depressed. Hated myself. Hated my life. Um, I was ready to kill myself that morning. Had my gun on my lap. I was ready to do it. Something happened where it's like I got a second chance. Something clicked in my head. It's like, fuck, out, you need help. You need some fucking help. So, right then and there, I was like, fuck, I need help. Went through my phone, found a psychologist. It wasn't really an addiction thing at that time I felt that I needed help
2: with, it, it was more of a mental problem,
3: mental issue, which led to my addiction. So, I got a psychologist, and I've been still seeing her for like since then. She's really helped me. Heal from my past trauma,
2: which caused my addiction, my depression, my anxiety, my bad choices.
3: So she has a a lot to do with who I am today. So kudos to her, for sure, you know. So it's pretty, it, it, it was nuts. So that's why, like, I've never been this strong ever in my entire life. Like it's it's mind blowing what I learned in the last nine
2: months, in the top of the seven years in the past, to becoming the person I am today. I had to go through fucking hell in my entire life to be the man I am today, and I think that it was. I think there's a purpose to that for me. Maybe right. it, it help others realize that you know, there's ne- it's never too late to change. Fuck, I'm 45 years old, you know. I just started to get my life together, you know, so it's never too late. So, it's
3: pretty nuts. Well, th-
1: thank you. Uh, you know, Al, thank you for sharing that because I know there's a ton of people out there that have been in that situation or in that situation. And thank you for uh, being honest um, about that.
2: For men, even a lot of my friends, I had a discussion with an old friend of mine about a week ago, two weeks ago. He says something really interesting. A lot of us men, we suffer in silence. We suffer in silence. And that's fucking scary. That really is. Because we get to a breaking point. We really do. Men get to a breaking point where they just give up. And it doesn't have to be that way, you know? We just kind of have to swallow our pride and ego and just seek help. Reach out to a friend. Get assistance getting assistance you know
3: go up to a friend say hey man i'm not doing so well i need your help to get me help you know and it's not easy for a guy to say that you know to admit that he needs help i mean it fucking took me all my life to finally say that say that you know but i think it's very important for us men to like have to we have to admit it to
2: ourselves sometimes in order to be a better person for our families, to ourselves, for sure. I didn't mean to turn this into an emotional nah, thing, it. but <laughs> I just thought it was very important.
1: You, you mentioned the man thing. There's it, a joke in my family. It's, uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Man. I'm good. You know? And I was like, fucked up. And I'm like, no, I'm good.
3: Yeah.
1: I'm yeah, good to go, we man. We suffer
3: in silence and it's tough.
1: Yeah. Well, so uh, let's change the subject a little bit. Pipe guns or wood guns? <laughs>
4: so, I, 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 think, I think with wood guns, Brian, you want to say something? I think with wood guns, yeah, go ahead. We can go back to you know Al's example of Terry Moss, right? When seventies, eighties, J. Rife, when spearfishing was coming of its own, when they were venturing into deeper water, shooting larger fish you needed to build something that could be powerful enough to land fish of that size. Right. And the wisdom at that point was we're using conventional muzzled guns. And the reason you use a wood gun is when you add more rubber or you shorten the rubber or you power it up, you create additional recoil. If your shaft is too long, you increase the shaft whip. You have issues such as muzzle flip. And those are huge issues in the way of accuracy, especially if you're trying to shoot something that's 20 feet away. Because if you're one inch high, that turns into 12 inches high by the time it reaches its target. So to counteract that recoil, you have to then add some lead ballasting. And it's a lot easier to cut a channel on the underside of the gun or under the track and insert your lead ballasting in a way to where that recoil comes straight back as opposed to up and down. So I really feel like that's why wood became so popular. And then for Reef's guns, you try to power it up, but you're only shooting like a 7 mil shaft. And then you do an enclosed track. But I think few people understand that enclosed tracks are a catch-22 in the sense that If your track is too tight, your track to shaft tolerance is too tight, it creates a vacuum effect, which actually slows the shaft down. And it also um, limits the shafts that you can use, right? If your gun is tailored to shoot uh, a 930-second shaft, you can't put a 516 shaft in there. It won't fit. It won't work. So... To me, kind of a limiting factor of wood guns is they're very specific in purpose. We're going to power it this way. We're going to use this shaft. We're going to target these fish. These are our limitations. You can't change that. Right? So now we're going to compare that to a pipe gun. Reason I love pipe guns so much is because it's plug and play. You can cut the size of the barrel down if it's too long. You can fill it with foam if you want to absorb some of the recoil. You can change out the handle and trigger. You can change out the muzzle. If you don't like this configuration, you can change it to another. When, another. when one company comes out with something that's better than what you've been using, you can take that off and put that back in. So that's why I really enjoy pipe guns. And pipe guns don't have the same weight as the wooden guns especially if you're going to do a roller configuration because now you're powering in parallel. So unlike a conventional where everything's pulling back on the muzzle and creating that shaft whip, creating that recoil, when you use a roller, it cancels the force out. So you can actually get away with using, say, an aluminum barrel and still shooting an 8mm shaft with it and powering it up so there's like 200 pounds of pressure at the mech. You can't do that. You know, the wood gun requires mass. But then if you've ever dove, you know, deeper than 40 feet and you're trying to drag this 160-centimeter gun down with you and you shoot this fish and you try to bring that log back up or you're trying to track something, it's near impossible. So that's my take on wood versus pipe.
3: I mean. Yeah, it's, it's, go uh, ahead. ahead.
1: ahead. I was just going to say, having grown up in the land of giant timber guns and being super guilty of it too. Um, uh, like you said, anytime you dive past 40 feet, right. And it's, it's, uh, there's little techniques that we've had to adopt to help that right? whether it's lowering, throwing the gun down and meeting it halfway down as you're dropping whether it's like certain different things to, to adapt diving with those giant guns. And it's, I think it's kind of interesting looking at us if we're like, we're different species of animals, like how we adapt to do a certain environments based on the tools we use. But um, I, yeah, I, yeah, I could, I've used uh pipe guns quite a bit and it sure is nice on a reef, like <laughs> to have them and track just to track, you know, you're not getting, like, carpal tunnel or time you try move <laughs> the thing, like, you know? Um, right. Go ahead, Al.
2: Oh, I mean, like, honestly, when it comes to wood or pipe guns, everybody has their own preference. To each their own. I mean, whatever works best for you is great. And I think, you know, if you do want to experiment, go ahead and experiment. Whether you be going from pipe to wood or wood to pipe. All I say is that really do your research and give it a chance. Because, for instance, if you're going from a pipe gun to a wood gun, you're not going to really enjoy it at first. There's a lot of figuring out you have to do. Like you said, how you maneuver it, you know, what's the best way to dive down with it, what's the best way to aim with it, and whatnot. So, you know, just if you're going to make a conversion or try something new, just, you know, give it a chance. Because I see so many horror stories or so many people just really disappointing when they're converting from wood to a roller. Everybody's like, "Oh, this gun no more power. Oh, this gun, oh, kind of feel funny. Looking aim straight, and all this kind of stuff." And and they immediately dismiss it. Where I feel like, hey, you know, you got to really put in the effort and research to really have something work for you. You know, so I don't know. two each their own. What are, what what are rollers. I use both. I, I'm I'm very accompanied to using almost any type of gun, and I'll say I'm pretty successful with with it. You know, but um, what you were saying about maneuvering and uh, learning to use a wooden gun, man, I learned that with that tuna gun this past trip. Like, holy crap. Like, it was it was, it was was really challenging just to dive down with it. I've never used a gun that large in my entire life. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, how I'm going to dive down with it. So I took a couple of dives, and I, and I finally leveled off. I noticed, I'm like, I'm supposed to be level right now but I'm not like I was diving kind of crooked I didn't know which way I was diving because it's blue water right you don't have a target that you're aiming for you can't see the bottom and plus the water was dirty but you know I really noticed okay this is a heavy gun so I just held it straight down vertically and I just kind of just kept my arm and hand loose and I dove down and I just let the gun lead me straight down As soon as I discovered that and had a better technique of coming down vertically and leveling off perfect, that's when, I was, that's when I became successful in shooting a bluefin. Because the prior times of missing and all this stuff, I made so many mistakes just because of that gun, was is so hard to use and maneuver and level off and all these things that variables I had to consider. And then once I used the gun and learned how to use the gun to my advantage of my diving
3: technique, then I was able to really be uh successful with it. Yeah. So, I mean it's trippy.
1: Right. It also helps to it helps to keep it close to your body too if you're gonna pivot, right? Yes. And then stick it out. Yes, yeah, so because that yeah. was like
2: the second mistake I made in the excitement of the, seeing the tuna. I'm I'm like that and I'm trying to move this sixty five inch log sideways and I can't keep up with the fish. I'm like what am I doing? You know, then then I learned okay I put it back in, move Extend out, you
3: know, stuff like that, but yeah, it,
1: it's, it took a lot of getting used to. But I, I think too, the wood gun versus pipe guns people are some people think, uh, uh, some people are asking like the euro wood guns, like true, about the same size as a regular pipe gun, it just happens to be wood versus a pipe gun, not necessarily like a giant wooden tuna gun, yeah, but they all have different characteristics, yeah. right.
2: Yeah, so, yeah. So like, um, you know, we take the we take the rifle Euro for example. It really, is, you know, small diameter, you know, short, and you know, very maneuverable. So that's that's a great crossover gun for those who want to go from a pipe gun to a wood gun, or a wood gun to a pipe gun. You know, same thing with like the cap. The cap is a great gun too. You know, it's Euro style, very small diameter, and just a great crossover gun. You know, so. And it has the benefits of what most people like, the maneuverability of pipe with the mass and good feel of
3: a wood gun.
4: So So to add to that, Brett, if you're going to be diving reef only and you're going to and you're making the decision between should I get a two band conventional wood gun or should I get a same size single roller? So one of the things that's interesting in regards to physics is if you have a conventional muzzle gun, let's say 100 centimeters, and a roller that's 100 centimeters, that 100 centimeter roller is almost twice as powerful as that two-band conventional. And that 100 centimeter roller will have the same power and range as a conventional that's 20 centimeters longer. So my 100-centimeter roller will have the same range and power as a 120 conventional gun. So that way, if you're trying to dive in confined space, if you're trying to target small, fast-moving fish, I'll take a roller because I've got more range. I've got more power. I can track super fast through the reef. It's easy to get down. It's easy to come up. Those are my. That's my rationale between the
1: two. I have a question regarding that. Actually, um, when you said it's similar power, I understand the stroke or the band stretch, right? Because you're getting the additional, the full length of the gun, where conventional basically stops at once the two-thirds. the bands are done contracting. Yeah, two thirds, right? So, um, so if you have a traditional gun with where does the extra power come from where the from a single band competing with the two bands so so
4: what you just said a conventional only utilizes two-thirds of the length of the barrel because the first third the bands are at rest they're not under any tension whatsoever you just reach out there you grab them you load them but your power curve is only two-thirds of the barrel length as opposed to a roller you're utilizing a hundred percent of the barrel But that rubber is already under 100% stretch of pretension. So when you go to pull that off the muzzle bridge, it's already got 45 pounds of pressure before you even begin to load it. And whatever, we did some experimentation and we found universally, be it a single, be it a double, whatever it was, the muzzle weight was double at the shark fin tab close to the back. So if you're starting out with 90, 45 pounds at the muzzle, you've got 90 pounds at the rearmost shark fin. So that's 90 pounds of forward force you have with a single roller utilizing that full barrel length. And that carries the shaft through, right, the full length. Whereas if you use a conventional, it carries it to that two-third point, and then it just kind of stops. And that's where you see shots dropping off. And, you know, some people want proof in this matter. I've taken people out. Hey, I'm going to go do some target practice and you want to come with me. I'm using a 90 single roller. My friend's using a 100. Euro, conventional, two band. And he didn't realize that his gun only had an effective kill range of 10 feet. Whereas I was taking 15, 16, 17 foot shots with a 90. And having good penetration and, you know, a minimum penetration value is the shaft has to go through the target at least enough inches in order for that flopper to engage, not just touch it. You have to penetrate through so it can toggle back. And after seeing that, he's like, I need a fucking roller. (laughs)
3: Yeah. So like Bernie like um, said, like so- 45 pounds at the muzzle,
2: double that at the shark fin. Now, if you have a double roller, that's 180 pounds of force on a shaft, on the 8 no shaft, especially if you think about it, you do a 100-centimeter double roller with 80 pounds each band at the shark fin. That's 160 pounds. That's a lot of force, shooting that little 8 no shaft. And there's no recoil. So the physics states that if there's no recoil, all that power is being diverted directly to the shaft and it's going to be accurate and there's not going to be any shaft whip. So the shaft whip has a lot to do with the inaccuracies on a traditional gun. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. And what I think a lot of people trip out on when the first time they use a roller, they shoot it and it's like, this gun has no power, but it actually does. Like six years ago, when I bought my first roller, I shot it. I shot a Kahala, I think. I was like, Did I even get it? I'm like, Oh, yeah, I got it. Because it felt like nothing. But the shaft penetrated all the way through the Kahala and whatnot. I was just like, Ever since then, I was like, I was hooked. I was like, Oh, I got to play where I'm with this roller. I got to figure this thing out. So I started playing with all kinds of different band sizes, shaft sizes, pretensions, and whatnot. And I was like, wow like the sky's the limit with these rollers like you can really juice up the power on these things and it doesn't even have any shaft whip and i was shooting a seven mil shaft on a 110 with 16 mil rubbers full pretension with the last sharkman loaded and it was shooting like 18 feet no problem with good penetration accurately and i was like
3: boom i'm like i'm never going back that <laughs> was unreal
1: that's a, that's a good point. Um, because I found myself falling into that trap, especially if I switch guns around a lot, but I shot, uh, my double roller and it was, and my shot, my friend's, uh, Captain Bly double roller too. And it was like, Hey, how does it feel? I'm like, it doesn't feel as powerful as yeah. mine. Uh, and it's like, Oh, why not? Oh, because it has, mine has more kick, but in a roller, that's not good.
3: yeah.
1: Right. So it's like, I was like. I'm judging this like a standard gun, like how much powerful it is based on the kick. And really that's like ass backwards. And
3: that's what,
2: that's what I mentioned earlier. Wow. Like when if you're transitioning and you're trying to roll it for the first time, you gotta really give it a chance. You know what I mean? A lot of people get a lot of people get discouraged and you know, you gotta really put your research and give it a chance. And one way to really do that, to really find out what the potential of your roller gun is, especially when you first get into it. Is go target practice with it, you're gonna see the accuracy, the potential, the penetration. You're gonna see all the great benefits of it. Because if you just get into a roller gun, go diving with it, try to shoot a fish with it, you're not really seeing all its potential right away, you know. It, it's and then a lot of people like, Oh, this thing is shitty, I'll go sell them, you know. Like the kid Dylan, he bought that one roller, didn't couldn't figure out why it wasn't working for him, he came and saw Brian. Brian told him, and Brian geeked out on him, told him everything. And he ends up buying a rose from Brian. Now the kid is like blowing his mind, stoked
3: now, you know. He's got to really put in that effort. So,
1: I mean, we could talk about bands for an hour or two, <laughs> I guess. But yeah. what, Brian, what are some, some issues, like one of the issues that I've encountered with Roller is um, entanglement with shooting line getting entangled with the muzzle. Um, have you seen that at all before? Um,
4: I, I personally haven't had any issues. That really boils down to the tension on that segment of line from your attachment point to your shaft. If, if you're going to be a lazy diver and let that line be slack, expect an entanglement, right? So the more experience you have, the more you understand your tools. Like I have very set protocols that I go through. When I load my gun, right? Before I even load the band, I make sure the shaft's engaged. And then I load the band and now I look at my line's tension point. And if it's gotten loose, I pull down and then forward and I tighten up the drag on the real line. And now we're tight everywhere. Flip the gun over. Make sure you're not going to have your line caught on anything. You know, these are the kind of things that you learn through experience So if you just jump right into that realm and you don't understand it, as Al was saying, you could have a negative experience. And if you're not willing to work through that experience and figure out the finer points, you're really going to miss out in the long run. Right. So everybody has the mentality of power that more is better. That's not the case. Because unless you understand some physics and you understand the concept of terminal velocity, you can actually overpower the mass of the shaft. You can actually increase the shaft width. You can increase the recoil. And those equal inaccurate shots. The goal with any gun, be it conventional or a roller, is basing off the length of the gun, the diameter of the shaft, the length of the shaft. What's our mass that we're attempting to project? And then you have to get out there and you gotta try different rubbers, different lengths, different powering percentages and you really want to figure that out. So personally what I do once I figure that out is I have a Ziploc bag I keep my rubber in, I write what gun it's for, I write what rubber I'm using, And what the initial length was, because rubber is going to elongate over time. And when it comes time to replace your bands, you want to have that point of reference. You spent all that time figuring out the secret. So you might as well have a point of reference so you can replicate it when it comes time to. But that is time in. Right. So all these people that watch YouTube videos, all these people that follow social media, nobody's going to give you the formula. Because if I give you the formula... I might as well just shut the doors to my business. And especially if the competitors don't know the formula, why would I give that away? So some things, most things in spearfishing should be earned.
2: It's, it's amazing how there, I see a lot of competitors who, I'm sure the, I'm sure the guns and stuff, they shoot fine and whatnot, but I can see so much improvement on their product. And I, I just have a hard time understanding why they don't go that route. You know, but I mean, to each their own. If they're happy with their product they're putting out, and people are successful with it, great. You know, but like Brian said, we can't give all the secrets out. That's why I, so there's some people who, well, like message out to me, "Oh, well, how do I do this? And how do I do that?" I'm like, "Bro, you gotta go figure it out on your own, bro." I spent ten years trying to figure that shit out. I'm not gonna fucking tell you. Fucking fuck off. <laughs> 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 no, for real. I'm like, fuck <laughs> off, bro. I'm oh boy. You shit.
1: Yeah. I, had one of the, one of the football players that I coach, he came over last weekend and uh, I was teaching him how to make bands, you know, and how to like, make sure they don't slip. Cause he was going to Catalina on a spearfishing trip. But I was like, man, I wish I had one of these when I was growing up, like a mentor, you know? Well, um, well can you imagine, but, uh, can
4: you imagine being on a trip and having your bands fail and not knowing how to retie that your trips over? Right. Yeah. That's basic spearfishing oh, knowledge. Verse. So if you don't learn that as you're growing as a spearfisherman, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Because now I have to have someone with me that can do things for me. And that's not how you grow as a person, just in life in general. right? You want to be able to attain as much knowledge as you go through life as possible. So you're as self-reliant as possible. And then when you find someone that's hungry for knowledge and has the right mentality you can then share that knowledge with that person who's deserving of it
1: alright that concludes part one of the two part series with Brian and Al I hope you guys are enjoying it and finding it entertaining at the least and maybe possibly learning something so uh, be sure and check out part two it's going to be released probably in a couple weeks here at the at the latest um, with these two gentlemen and uh, should be another great episode. Uh, if you guys are interested in learning more about spearfishing go to my Instagram page uh, spearfactor and check out the online courses uh, or also I do provide spearfishing coaching if you have any questions about spearfishing in general or just need a good help getting started uh, reach out and I do provide those services uh hope you guys are enjoying the show and also i gotta say i'm really impressed with how many people have reached out to me saying that it's helped them a lot or they enjoy it so i'll keep making it as long as you guys keep enjoying it so take care and dive safe